Well, welcome to all of you. Hey, there I am. I thought there was something off. Perfect. Uh, welcome to all of those who are joining us online and those who are on site here with us this morning. Congratulations. You adjusted your clocks. And uh, most of you, I didn't, I didn't watch too closely. Most of us made it here on time. That's great. So, <laughs> well, uh, yes, definitely good morning to you today. We are into week two of our new sermon series called Piecing It Together, where we're looking at what we're referring to as God's plan for marriage, based upon a verse found in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And it's a verse that we're probably familiar with, and it, and it reads this way. It says, A man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, if you read that in the King James Version, as I mentioned last week, we find a pastor's favorite friend. We find words that rhyme. And anybody, do you remember what the words were? They were to leave... Weave and cleave. Yeah, Phil had them just the wrong order, so he get half marks. Perfect. Yeah, to, to leave, weave, and cleave. And that's what we're talking about over the next couple of weeks here. Last week we talked about leaving. About leaving our past stuff to make space for new loyalties as we enter into that most important relationship in our lives, apart from God, is with our, with our spouse. And by doing so, we can establish and we can build and we protect trust within the bounds of that relationship. And we're going to talk a bit more about that in the weeks going ahead, kind of keep referring back to it because we're building something here. But today we're going to move to talking about weaving, about weaving. And in order to do so, I thought it's probably the best place to start is just to kind of jump right into it and go back to the kind of the original story that occasioned the giving of this command. And it's found, as I mentioned a moment ago, in Genesis chapter 2. If you, if you want to follow along, feel free to turn to chapter 2 of Genesis. Or if you want to use the sermon notes, that pew portal code in front of you, just scan that. All the notes are right there for you. Uh, pew Bible, easy to find. It's on page 2 of the, of the pew Bible. Uh, and what we find is you turn there is that starting in verse 15, we find Adam alone in paradise. It's just him and God and the beauty of the world that's been created. And all that's been created to this point, God has declared good. But the reality, as we're about to see, is that not everything was actually good. Because we read this in verse 18. The Lord God then said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is the first time God declares anything not good. Not good. And he sees Adam alone, struggling. And he goes, that's that's not good. It's not good for him to be alone and struggling. And he knows the solution. The solution is to create a helper suitable for Adam. And and he could immediately do so. But for whatever reason, we're going to see the reason here in a second, he, he chooses to not immediately resolve the challenge. Instead, he puts a plan into place that we see starting in verse 19. It says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what the man would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds and the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam... No suitable helper was to be found. You see, the first thing God does is is he has Adam take inventory and identify all of the living creatures. And this isn't just busy work. There's a purpose behind this. It's it's not just to, to distract him or it's not just busy work. There's a purpose behind it. You see, Adam is becoming familiar with all the living things and in the end realizing that nothing fills that space in his life. 
See, what did he realize? He realized that dogs are good to play with. He realized that birds are good to listen to, that horses are good for riding, that cats are good for nothing. He, 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 he did. He discovered these things. But none of them were sufficient. They were just ragging on cats all the time, right? I'm sorry to the cat lovers. But, but none of them were sufficient to be that partner in life with him. And only then does God go to step two, where he performs the first anesthetic surgery. We find in verse 21, he says, so, so the Lord God made the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of Adam's ribs, and then he closed the place up with flesh. And then the Lord God made woman from the rib that had been taken out of the man and brought her to him. He brought her to him. When Adam sees Eve for the first time, he instantly knows that his me has just become a we. <laughs> he knows exactly what it is that he is looking at. And in verse 23, here's his response when this happens. He says in this, in this poetic manner, he says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. The, the, the New International Pastor Marker version of this is, Wow! <laughs> wow! Good job, God. I've never seen that before. It's, the, it's kind of the first thing that Adam thinks and sees when he sees Eve. And why is that? Because she's just like him. She's, she's just like him in every way. She's, she's the perfect one in which to share his life in every way. Physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. You see, Eve was not created from the ground like, like, like other creatures where she would be a separate thing. She was not created from an imperfection in Adam that was taken out so that she would be somehow lesser. Adam looks at Eve and he says, we are of the same stuff. Flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And from that moment going forward, they know that there's this unity that can draw them together and they can weave their lives together right from the very beginning. And at this point, the story pauses for a bit of an aside. As God points this out when he says in verse 24, he says, this is why. That is why. A man leaves his father and his mother and he's united to his wife. That is why the two become one flesh. That's why. That's why they can weave their lives together. That's why. See, last week we talked about leaving, about making that space in our lives for that most intimate of relationships that we have apart from God. So we can establish that bond and we can start to build trust within that relationship. And, and this is absolutely applicable to marriage. We, we can see that very clearly, can't we? How applicable this is to marriage. But even for those, and thank you to those who in our congregation and online are, are, are single or who are widowed and, and reached out to me this week to affirm that, no, we can still see the value of this principle. We can still see that there is something in our lives that we are going to have kind of in that chair beside us. And it's important to be aware of what that is. It's important to know what that is because if it's a good thing, we want to reorganize our lives and make sure it stays part of our lives, but we want to invest in it. But if it's a harmful thing, we need to know it's harmful because then we can totally remove it. We can totally leave it. And whatever it is that we make space for, here, here's why it's so critical. Because whatever we make space for in that most intimate spot beside us, Whatever we put in that second chair, as we saw last week with Nadine sitting beside me, that's where we're going to place our trust in our human relationships. 
That's what we're going to join with. That's what we're going to bond with. That's what we will weave with. And when we weave our lives together, we are uniting our lives with another to create a shared story. And hopefully it's a shared story of hope. You know, and I've always liked this metaphor for, for this idea of weaving, of being a shared story. And there's two reasons. Uh, the first reason is because it acknowledges that each person has their own story. That each person has their own identity and their own journey that has brought them to a moment of coming together. But it also acknowledges that there is a story that's being woven together. But in addition to that, it points out that the most critical way that we can weave our lives together is through words. Because stories are made up of words, aren't they? We weave our lives together one of the most powerful ways through communication. So think about those two things, where, where it's like Nadine and I, for example, we have our own lives sort of a individual from each other. We have our own stories apart from each other. She, you know, she works at Alberta Health Services, and, and I work at the church. So she has her staff that she supervises, and, and I have my staff that I supervise. She, she's better at keeping on top of family things than I am, and, and I spend more time kind of fixing things and running the aspects of the household. So we, we have these individual aspects of our own stories, but every day we find opportunities to come together to talk about those things. And when we come together to talk about those things, we are inviting the other person into our story. See how that works? We, we invite them into that story that we had independent. Now we also have our story together. We have our kids and our granddaughter and our dishwasher that broke last week and, and, and our summer vacation plans that we're trying to pull together. You see, and so through all of these memories and adventures and squabbles and outtakes, we weave an intricate fabric of life. We weave this intricate fabric of life together. And words are a powerful part of allowing that to take place. But do you know, do you know what couples report the number one problem in their relationships to be? Communication. Communication breakdown is the number one challenge. And this challenge of not just communicating, therefore there's a challenge of weaving our lives together. And I, and I think we'd agree with that, wouldn't we? That communication is hard. Anyone want to argue with me that communication, nah, it's easy. I always communicate 100 perfectly well. Every time, 100 times out of 100, I say something to my spouse and they hear and know exactly what I was talking about. Anyone? Anyone? Probably not, right? Because communication's hard. It's hard to do this. But I think we would agree that if it's hard, it's important and it's necessary for us to be able to weave our lives together. Because when it doesn't happen, we feel like things are unraveling instead of coming together. You know, when, when people go to different countries uh, of, of different languages, they take a translator with them, right? Because they know communication is critical. You know, being very clear in what we're trying to communicate can either could draw us together into good relationship or can really lead to, you know, World War III. So we, we, we take communicators, we take translators with us when we go to a different nation to make sure we can communicate clearly. And I was wondering this past week, what would it be like if we had a marriage translator? Hey, how awesome would that be? We need to talk. You've done something wrong. Okay. I'm toast. 
Now, I'm not upset. I'm upset. I'm just kind of surprised. I'm a ticking time bomb of volcanic fury. Because you forgot about yesterday? Because you are a moron of epic proportions. Yesterday, yesterday. I'm toast. Yesterday was the 15th anniversary of our first official date. Oh, that's right, I remember. I have no memory of that. Do I need to get some flowers or something? No. Yes. Are you sure? Yes. No. Are you mad? No. Yes. You'll remember next year. I will. I won't. So how do you like the casserole? It's, uh, it, it's a new flavor. Tastes like the devil ate a skunk sandwich and vomited into my mouth. That's my mom's favorite recipe. I grew up on that. Might as well slap my mother in the face. Well, you know I would never do that. You know I think your mother's wonderful. Actually, I think your mother's a... <laughs> so... Wanna have sex? How was your day? Wanna have sex? Exhausting. Don't even think about it, you sex maniac. Exhausting, huh? Wanna have sex? Exhausting. I'd rather rub broken glass in my eyes. Do you want to cuddle? Want to cuddle for two seconds, then have sex? My head hurts. You lay one finger on me, and I'll beat you with this lamp, you filthy McNasty. OK. Good night. How about now? You want to have sex now? Communication. Communication. Weaving our lives together requires us to communicate well. Isn't that true? Requires us to be understood, but also to be understanding. And I think it's safe to say that communication is the lifeblood of our relationship. It will determine and have a huge impact upon the level of physical intimacy that we have. It will impact the level of emotional intimacy we have. Those things are intricately entwined by how well we communicate. And I know that we know this to be true. Because you know in your own relationship, whether it's in your marriage relationship or whatever your, your closest relationship in your life may be, you know that when you have little to no or poor communication, how do you feel? You feel misunderstood. You feel perhaps like you are unknown. You just don't understand me. And perhaps you even feel unloved. But then when we have good communication, we feel there's a sense of warmth and, and comfort and belonging, isn't there? Where it's, it's, it's like there's this, this, this understanding where we interpret it as love, where we interpret that communication, that belonging as respect, and it gives us hope for the future. You see, an intimacy grows best when there's words, when there's communication taking place. And we see this, don't we, in, in, in the healthy couples that perhaps we know and see in our lives. If you know of a couple who is doing very, very well, there will be some good communication taking place. doesn't mean perfect but there'll be some good communication taking place between them. Perhaps when they go to a movie afterwards, they'll then go for coffee, and they'll spend an hour or two talking about the plot and the characters and, and reliving the funny moments and talking about the ending, if it made sense at all, and if it was a waste of time at the end. They will perhaps sit in a coffee shop or, or in, their, in their living rooms at home with, with their cell phones, and it looks like they're not together. It looks like they're alone on their phones, but as soon as you see a, a meme that's interesting or funny, what's the first thing you think of? Oh, I gotta share it. I gotta, I gotta show them what it is. And there's a sense of connection as we draw those stories together. You know, when Nadine and I do marriage prep, one thing I 
I do sometimes is, is I will give a couple a financial goals worksheet to take home with them, and I tell them, do it on your honeymoon. And they look at me kind of funny, like, why do we want to do a budget on our honeymoon? Like, do you not understand honeymoons, Pastor Mark? And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I get it. And it's not about the budget. You see, what the worksheet does is it asks two questions. It, it asks the question, where do you want to be in six months? Where do you want to be in five years? And the whole point is, you know, this budget is secondary. The, the primary point is these questions to just to be together and be like, and just dream. Just dream. Where do you want to be in six months? And where do you want to be in five years? And just dream together. Share these weaving of stories that happens through talks as we weave our lives and our stories together. And it's important to do this. But as we talked about, it's hard. It's hard to do this. Because communication is more than just conveying information. We also have to convey meaning, which is where sometimes we get off the rails. And men and women do this differently, don't they? They communicate and convey meaning differently. You, you've probably experienced this, or, or perhaps you can relate to, to some of the differences. For example, men tend to communicate through what's referred to as reporting. We tend to report details and facts and ideas. Women tend to communicate through rapport. And so we see a difference here between task versus relationship, and even the whole purpose for which we are communicating. We get off to the first step, it's different, where it's task versus relationship. Women tend to, to want to share challenges in order to draw people together into a common story. When men hear a woman's challenge, what do they think? i got to get my Bob the Builder hat, right? I put my Bob, what did Bob the Builder say? Can we fix it? Yes, we can, right? That, that's what we hear. Like, like our wives are like, I just want to share the story so we can have a shared moment together. And the husband's like, i got my hard hat. i gotta, I got to fix that thing up. Uh, women tend to share 20,000 words a day. Men, it's closer to 7,000 <laughs> words a day. And if you run, yeah, you can already see a disconnect there, right? Now imagine a scenario where, where, where the wife is staying home looking after some children all day, not using a lot of words because baby talk doesn't take much, and the husband is perhaps at work doing business meetings and whatnot all day. Then they come together at the end of the day. The husband's used up all of his words, and he's rather quiet, but the wife is just revving to go. She's like, I haven't got to use any words yet. <laughs> and there's this conflict that can start to happen sometimes. One other one that's important to understand is that women tend to share music. And we're obviously talking with broad strokes here, but they, they tend to communicate to gain understanding and feel close. And don't miss the difference on this one. To gain understanding and feel close. Guys, we tend to communicate to inform and feel useful. Don't miss that, to feel useful. That's why we try to fix things. It's not because we think we are God's gift to every problem. It's because our ideas being put into action and reading to resolution makes us the hero. And what guy doesn't want to be a hero for his lady? And this is how we communicate sometimes. And it breaks down. And this is Genesis 1.27 says, God created mankind in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And isn't that true? There are differences that exist between them. But aside from these gender differences that have been studied and, and kind of proven, there's another problem we run into. The other problem we run into is that God also created us with different personalities as well. I'll give you a bit of an insight in this one. Like, like my, for me, for example... I have what's referred to as a, a, a deliberating style of communication. 
What that means is that I tend to be very careful with my words. I tend to separate emotion from facts. And when I present something, there tends to be evidence to back it up. It's not just a conclusion. It's the evidence that led to the conclusion. And I expect whoever I'm talking with to do the same thing. And then there's Nadine, who's referred to more as an unwavering communication style. And that style is a little more quiet. They don't bother with long, drawn-out explanations. They don't worry about dramatic stories. They will just tell you, matter-of-factly, what they think. Now, bring that together. When we talk about important things, I will often make a presentation. I'll have slides, and I'll have my, my three points worked out that leads to a master conclusion. And I'm like, Nadine, I have blessed you with doing all the work and arriving at the only logical conclusion we could possibly arrive at. And now I expect her to come back with her perspective, with her evidence, and her rebuttal to mine. But what does she do? She'll be like, I don't like that. I think we should do this. Did you really just dismiss all of my logic in five words? (laughs) Did that really just take place? And, And you can see that this can lead to a challenge where our different styles, our different personalities can lead us to be confounded by communication, which is quite commonly what happens. Verse 27, it says, male and female, different. It's going to be a challenge. But what if? What if there is a way that instead of being confounded, we could be blessed? You think it's possible? Is there, is there a way that we could be blessed by these differences instead of confounded by them? Is the way that we could approach this verse in, in Genesis 1.27? And say, yes, they are different. And there's going to be challenges because they're different. But if we weave that together, we weave it together, we actually get a glimpse of the divine. You see, when God cre- what God created in Nadine and what he created in me, when that becomes one, when it doesn't divide, but when it weaves itself together, we get a glimpse of a fuller image of our creator than we do when we're on our own. You see, sometimes these differences we think will divide actually speak to some of the paradoxical aspect of the image of God, where we know God is just, but he also has mercy. Where there is wrath, but there's grace. Where there's sufficiency within himself, but a desire for relationship. Where he judges, but he loves differences that weave together to give us a greater glimpse of our maker. Isn't that cool? So we can either be confounded by the differences or we can choose a perspective of working towards seeing how we can be blessed by them. Does that make sense? Now, if any of this is new information for you, if, if, if anything I've talked about the last few minutes you think you could, it can kind of relate to and be beneficial for you in your marriage, Nadine and I have a marriage enrichment course coming up in the next couple of weeks. I just want to let you know about that because we're not going to kind of unpack the psychology of, of communication anymore here today, but we get into so much more of that in our marriage enrichment course. It's a four-week course starting April 13th, and, and if you want to know more about that, just come talk to me or go to the website, westmeadows.org, under the teaching groups, you'll find it there. And during this, we're going to talk more about this exact topic of communication and personality styles, as well as four other topics that are critical in helping you to weave your lives together in marriage. So consider that. Consider taking part in that.
But I also want to shift gears a little bit today and build upon that today by saying that there are these practical aspects of how we communicate, so many more than I could possibly get into today. But I also want to touch on kind of a root issue related to all this communication stuff. And the root issue is going down to the heart of communication. That's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time today, is the heart of our communication. Because, you see, it's not just about the words, and it's not just about the tone that we use. Those are critically important, and we'll unpack those during the marriage enrichment course. But all of those words and all of those tones are birthed out of our hearts and birthed out of our motivation behind why we say what we say. And you know, the Bible has a lot to say about this topic. It talks, about, uh, it talks a lot about how important it is to be careful about how we talk and how we are heard in the world around us, whether it's in our homes, in our church, in the community around us. And the principles we, t- we learned about here in terms of communicating in the heart of communication absolutely is relevant for marriage, but it transcends that into all other relationships we have as well. And so the first verse I want to draw your attention to today comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, where it says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Corrupt words come in different forms. When you hear that phrase, corrupt words, we could be talking here about foul language. We could be talking about these kind of little biting comments that get made at times. We, we could talk about hurtful accusations that, that get flown out at times. And, and all of these, when we experience these, as I mentioned those things, you probably thought of times when you've been in a conversation or relationship where you've been the recipient of those. And, and they sting, don't they? They're like little darts that get thrown. And they sting when they hit us. And not only do they sting, but they lead us to respond in a defensive manner. So instead of engaging in meaningful communication, when these corrupt words hit us, we we step back and we get defensive. And sometimes we respond in kind, because the best defense is strong offense, so we're going to respond in kind. But what do all these corrupt words have in common? These corrupt words are birthed from a corrupt heart. Now, how does a heart get corrupted? Well, you know, not to oversimplify, but there's two ways that I think we can look at how it happens. One is within the world. Now, people who are of the world, who are still in what we refer to as that sin nature, living apart from the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, those who are living in that sin nature, who are of the world, sometimes they just don't even know any better. So it's not like they've chosen that over some other better officer they're aware of. Sometimes that's just how they were raised. They, they are of the world. They're in the world. They were never shown anything else. And so that's just how we talk. That's just how we communicate. But its origin comes from that sin nature that exists within a corrupt heart that's never been rescued by the forgiveness of Christ. So that's one place it can come from. But another place, even for Christians, it can come from is from situations where stressful situations start to come up. Heated emotions start to come up in conflict. Sometimes when we just feel ourselves getting discouraged, some of the spinning thoughts that go through our minds can build and build and build and then get expressed in our words. We don't always mean what we say, but it comes out. It gets expressed. These corrupt words come out. I I recently have experienced this um, in my own life where... 
I allowed my heart to be corrupted by a situation. And it wasn't with Nadine, but it was, it was with another close person in my life. And it was, without going into all the details, I, I simply just say it was over a period of time, the, the stress, the disappointment, the, the conflict had continued to build. And I had so carefully stepped by the whole way along, I had so carefully watched my words. And remember, my communication style, I'm, I'm clear. I'm careful with my words, right? I, I separate words from emotion. I was watching my words so carefully, but I neglected my heart. And then an incident happened, and in the heat of the moment, do you, ever, do you ever have a moment where, like, an inside word comes out? Like, you know what I mean? Like, those words that are inside, you're like, that's just for me. I'm not going to share that. But, but then you do, <laughs> and it comes out. You're like, I wish I could kind of pull that back. But it comes out in, like, a switch. It's on. And words become weaponized. And in that moment, instead of weaving, the unraveling starts to take place. Sometimes in situations like this, we'll step back and we'll, we'll, we'll just justify it. Well, I didn't say anything. It wasn't true. Somebody had to eventually say something, didn't they? But in these moments, being right is not the criteria that makes it okay. It's not about being right. You see, in these moments, being right is not the criteria that makes it okay. Because it's, it's, it's so hard. It's, isn't it awfully hard to, to weave with somebody who has just torn you down? Like, like, how do you weave with that, right? See, what's required in those moments is not justifying by going, well, I was right, somebody had to say something. No, what's required is, is to humbly apologize without justifying. Because it's not about being right, it's about being real. And I really spoke corrupt words from a corrupt heart. So as Christians, unless you have Tourette's syndrome, we, we need to control our words, We need to be in control of those things. We need to watch our hearts, and and, and we need to watch the motivations from which we speak, especially in marriage, especially with the one we're trying to weave our lives together with. Because the goal, as we see in this verse, is to build others up according to their needs, according to words that benefit them. And our words, especially in marriage, will either steal that or they will invest hope in that. And we can actually see this principle taken a step further in the wisdom of Solomon, where we see this in in Proverbs 25, where he talks about how words spoken at the right time and from the right heart are of great value. They're of great value because they are words that are used to build up according to another's needs. They They are words that are of benefit to another person. And we read this in Proverbs 25 where it says, like, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. Like an earring of gold is the rebuke of a wise word, of a wise judge to a listening ear. So the words he's speaking about here are not just the, 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 the kind, polite, kind of puffing another person up kind of words. He's saying here there are words that are supportive. There's words that are encouraging. There's words that bring comfort and correction and guidance. There's, there's even in verse 12, it says there's even words of rebuke. Even words that bring criticism are of value. Now that's hard sometimes to receive words of criticism. To receive any words sometimes is hard and to count them as value. But what makes the difference? on whether or not you're willing to receive it or not. 
Because isn't it true that we're willing to receive certain words from some people, but we do not receive the same words from another person? Like, for example, if, if some stranger just walked up to me after service today and, and said, that shirt doesn't look very good on you. I'd be like, jerk? <laughs> like, who are you <laughs> to come and you know, question my, you know, my shirt? Right? Uh, maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. Maybe it looks terrible, but I'm not going to take that. For, I don't know who you are. Who are you to make that judgment? But if Nadine comes to me in the morning and she yeah, that, that shirt doesn't look very good, I'm probably going to go get changed. Why? Well, same, same sentence. What makes the difference? The difference is I know that Nadine cares about me. I know Nadine's heart is for me. I know she wants what's best for me, I, and I can trust what she says. And so she says something to me that's even a little hard to hear. I'm more willing to receive it from her because I know where it's coming from. It's coming from a pure heart. And that's why we began last week by talking about leaving. That's why the first piece is to leave, is to make space where you can, where you can make space for, you know, in this case, for Nadine to be beside me. We can start to grow that relationship. We can grow that trust. Because into that space, that trust begins to fill, we can then fill it with a shared story of hope. And when that happens, I can receive these words from her because I know she's for me, even if the words are hard to hear. Because we're weaving our lives together. See, the wisdom of Solomon was right. The right words at the right time from the right heart are of incredible value. Because they can even make us feel cared for. And they actually are a form of investment in the future. Now, to bring this to a close today, I want to leave you with one final step that can really strengthen and really unify you in your relationships with words. And it's through this. I said earlier that communication is the lifeblood of marriage. Well, if communication is the lifeblood of marriage, prayer is the heartbeat of your marriage. It's in the most intimate way that we can communicate with somebody. The most powerful way that we can weave our stories together is through prayer. Because in prayer, not only are we weaving our stories together, but we are weaving God into our stories as well, aren't we? So it talks about in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12, where it says, One may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. See, when we think about this word intimacy in marriage, We'll often think about like physical intimacy, and we're like, yep, working on that one. And then we'll think about maybe emotional intimacy. We say, well, we've got to try harder on that one. But then if I were to suggest to you about spiritual intimacy, I, I think a lot of people, if they're honest, they go, well, we, we've kind of neglected that one. We've kind of neglected the spiritual intimacy. But what more form of intimacy could there be? You see, because when, when we connect spiritually with our partner, we are inviting them into the highs and the lows of our relationship with God. How many people get a glimpse into that part of your life? Like, how many times have you actually openly shared, allowed somebody else to observe, and be present for what your relationship with God looks like? And you're inviting your partner. That's intimate, isn't it? That, that's, that's exclusive, that's a close, intimate experience. At the same time, not only are you weaving your lives together, but you're inviting God into that space. You're, you're inviting God into that story. You're, you're sharing that moment together. And I know this is an area where a lot of people struggle. 
Even people who have a, their own personal faith is strong and they've been around church for a long time, they, they can struggle with this because it's so intimate it feels awkward to do it, even with the most close, trusted person in your life. And so to close today, I just, I just want to invite Nadine to come join me up here. And, and I want to show you some brief steps on how you can do this. We cover more of this in our marriage enrichment course, but I want to show you some brief steps on how we can actually make this happen. And this is, I'll just tell you, this is like Nadine's least favorite thing to do is be up on the platform. And especially with a microphone in her hand. But we believe that this is really important. And so she's like, yeah, we're going to do this because of how, how critically important this is. So, so I just want to give you an example, an idea of, of how you can take steps to begin praying with your partner. And it simply starts with this. If you've never done this before, or if it's a challenge for you, it simply starts with this, with, with just asking them to share with you, you know, a couple things that you can pray for about them, and then silently pray about them. Uh, and show what I mean. So, Nadine, uh, how, can, how can I pray for you? I have a medical appointment coming up and a big meeting at work this okay. week. Okay. So with this, with this meeting at work this week, is there anything in particular you're hoping will be an outcome from it? I'm hoping that we can both come to an understanding of the actual problem. Okay, good. Yeah, I can pray for you for those things. And how can I pray for you this week? Uh, I have two things that are on my mind. One, uh, I'm, hoping the, I'm hoping the congregation will be gracious that I went five minutes long again. Um, <laughs> and secondly, I'm having a, a hard time finding time to kind of work on my ordination material, so i got to fit that in somewhere. Okay. Want to pray about those things? Yes. Okay, let's pray. Amen. We just prayed together. There wasn't any word shared, though, Pastor Mark. Right, but this is step one. Isn't that easy? Isn't that easy? We simply took a moment to share a joy or a challenge of our lives and then we invited God into it on behalf of our partner. Didn't have to say any words even. We, and the first thing we did was we shared a bit of our lives together, which kind of wove us together. And then we invited God in as that third chord. Now, that's, that's as simple and as basic and as easy as the first step. And that counts as praying together. But, of course, we want to take a step beyond that, don't we? We want to, we want to go to the next step. And so we would do the same thing where I'd ask you a few things to pray for. And you'd ask me the same thing. But this time, we, we would just add one sentence. Just one sentence. Not trying to solve the problem. Guys, take your, take your hard hats off, guys. We're not solving our problems for our wives in the midst of our prayers. This isn't a loophole for how I, I can get in there. If I'm praying, I can solve it. That, that's not what this is. We, we, are, we are praying that God knows best, right? We are simply offering this situation to God with our partner, not solving it for them through prayers. And so that might look something like this. So, yeah, thanks for sharing those. Let's, let's pray. And we'll begin by praying silently as well. But before we're done, we'll just say one sentence each. And Lord, before we're finished praying today, I just want to specifically mention uh, Nadine's meeting coming up this week. And that she and the people she's meeting with would come to a common understanding by the end of it. And Lord, I pray that Mark will find time to work on his ordination work and... Um some ability to uh, start working on that, Lord. Amen. That's, that's it. That's as simple as it can be. And so as powerful as it can be. 
You see, and, and so I want to leave you with this example, this encouragement. And as we, as we close today, this, uh, Nadina, I just want to pray for you uh, and over you. That your closest relationship with so many of us is going to be our marriages or the marriages that we're preparing ourselves for. Whatever that relationship may be for you, that, that we would see in our marriages in particular that our spouses are our companions. They are our partners in life. And that we would speak to them with hearts that are not corrupt and therefore corrupt words come from, but we would speak to them with words that are pure and that are for them. And so as the worship team has joined us here and as we turn to our response song as well and I close the prayer, can I just invite you to stand? I just want to pray over you and then we'll sing our response song. Heavenly Father, we both desire and, and both choose to stand here to pray for the people that you've entrusted to the leadership and to your guidance here at West Meadows. Lord, we long for the marriages and the relationships within the context of this church community to be strongly woven together. That we would not be divided by our differences, especially within our marriages, but that we would find a way to actually be blessed by them. Lord, I pray the communication that we share within our households, within our church, within our community, would come from hearts that are guarded. Guarded not that we separate ourselves from others, but guarded from anything that would corrupt our hearts. Things of the world or things of situations. And that from those hearts, good words would be birthed. And that would build up relationships and would build up other people. And that this may be truth, truthfully seen within our homes, within our church, within our communities. So that we and our words would be seen as valuable. To your honor and to your glory we pray this. Amen.